Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. I'm here in the tap room with our co-host, Maria Capre. Hi, Maria. What's going on? What's up, John? How about the heat? I'm kind of (laughs) depressed. We had a good run, though. South Florida had a good run. I'm very proud. We yeah. shouldn't have gotten to where we got, but At least they you won know. one game, right? Each. Yes. Yeah. We have uh, we have grit. Okay. As yeah, Coach Spo yeah. likes to yeah. likes to say. Your perseverance, right? Yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. No, I mean, I had the Nuggets anyway, so. <laughs> That's only because we beat your Celtics. <laughs> no, I just knew nobody was going to beat the Nuggets at home at, at all. Not with not with the Joker in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Who's our first guest this week? Our first guest is the co-founder, co-owner of Woven Water Brewing Company in Tampa, Florida. He opened the brewery in 2020 at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic with co-founders Ciara Jones, his wife, and another married couple, Nikki and Eric Childs. The pandemic caused them to throw out their playbook for opening the brewery and get creative to get their business off the ground. They were able to do so in a big way thanks to the overwhelming support of the Tampa Heights neighborhood that they call home. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Jay Jones. How you doing this morning, man? I'm great. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. It is a pleasure to have you on. When did you when would you say that you first developed a love for craft beer? When do you think that began for you, man? Man, that was probably about, I would say probably 10 years ago, 2013 was probably about the time. Um, oh, right. I mean, it was, it's, it's pretty funny because uh, the first time, I think one of the first craft beers I tried was High Lie, and uh, I, I hated everything about it. And I was like, well, <laughs> okay. back to, back to uh, Natty Ice it is for me. And then, uh, I don't know, just some time went by and I came back to it and I was just like, all right, wait, maybe there's something to this. And then I just, I just rabbit holed my, my way in there. That's funny because that, that was the same year that I went and worked for Cigar City and lived in uh, lived in Tampa for a year. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah. 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 So Highly was going through some uh, some changes that year. I specifically remember brewing that beer, and it like changed like four times that year. <laughs> so, yeah. So I well, would hopefully I the one I had. Go ahead. Hopefully the one I had wasn't one of yours. <laughs> no, I, I mean it was. It wasn't my recipe. I mean it probably was one of no. mine. You know what I mean? But it was like uh, Wayne changed. The hop combinations and the hop additions and everything about that beer four times that year. It was crazy. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah. Never never was happy with what the product was since they went from the 15-barrel system to they went to the 30-barrel system for more mass production. And they also started brewing it at Brew Hub. So everything was kind of like all over the place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was, I was one of those guys brewing it at Brew Hub for almost two years. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. So we, we brewed. I mean, man, we we're brewing close to probably 7,000 barrels a month of Highline. It yeah. was it was nuts how much Highline we were brewing over there. Yeah, because if I remember correctly, like in 2013, they were doing they were doing almost 50,000 or like around 40,000 barrels. And a good chunk of that was out of Brew Hub. Yeah. 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 And it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. So I mean, were you a were you a home brewer in the beginning after the craft beer love? I mean, did you dive into home brewing after that? Yeah, so I got into home brewing a little bit when I was still in college. Um, Where'd you I didn't, go? Where'd I mean, you go to it school? really didn't take. Say again. Where'd you go to college at? I went to USF. Oh, I, went, nice. I went to USF for mechanical engineering. Oh, damn, okay. Um, and then, kind of while I was doing all that, I got into home brewing a little bit. I didn't really. I mean, I probably brewed maybe three or four batches until I was like, "All right, this is it. I want to do this now." <laughs> um, so it was pretty quick for me. Do you remember what you what was uh do you remember what your first homebrew was? Yeah, it was a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale clone. Really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Was it, it actually turned out pretty good. There you okay, go. There you go. That, that's One of the few on the yeah, show. Right, right. I mean, that's yeah. normally a a hot topic question is like, you know, okay, if you homebrewed, you know, cuz a lot of guys have roots in that. And then it's like, hey, is your first beer that you made that were you able to drink it? And Yeah. I would say majority say 
it was palatable, right. not great. Right. But everyone but, drank yeah. it because yeah. you and your friends like, right. are just excited. Well, it's that also you had pride. Beer. Like, hey, hey, I made this. Like, I'm going to drink this thing. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> Even if it no, tastes exactly. terrible. Yeah. And then I, I kind of dove right into the, uh, the all grain as well. I skipped over extract brewing. And um, my first, I, I found like a $200 homebrew kit on Craigslist and uh, just went right into it. You went to school for mechanical engineering, <clears throat> and then you obviously you're home brewing. At what point did you decide along the career? I mean, did you get into a career that involved mechanical engineering, or did you go straight into into brewing? So what I ended up doing, um, I got an internship at a powerboat company. Um, Which one? Kind of. I had I had what was uh, Intrepid powerboats. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So I had an internship there for I don't know, it's probably about close to a year. And, um, I had two semesters to go to finish my degree. Right. And after that internship, I was like, this isn't it. So I actually ended up leaving mechanical engineering with two semesters left. Damn. And I enrolled into, um, the USF St. Pete brewing arts program. Nice. And then, uh, halfway through that program, I was, that was the first class for that. And then halfway through that program is when I got my job at brew hub. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So Never, never really took off with the whole engineering thing, but I've used way more engineering and brewing than yep. when I was ever doing anything with engineering. <laughs> For <laughs> sure. Probably, I mean, I mean, designing the brew house layout, any of that stuff, anything to do with, you know, <laughs> the flow of the beer around, around the brewery. Yeah, I mean, it's all yep. engineering, man. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a wild ride. Hell yeah. <clears throat> so how, you worked at Brew Hub for two years? Yeah, it was it was roughly two years, um, and then yeah, about a year and a half, two years. Um, and I started off just cleaning bright tanks. Right. Um, never was on the packaging side, but just started off on the bright tanks. And then they quickly realized how bad I wanted it, so they moved me into the cellar. Nice. And then after that, ended up on the brew deck, and then I became their lead brewer for a little bit after that. Um, but I got I got tired of brewing other people's beer. Right. Um, and so I ended up applying to two different places. One of them was. Um, the Terrapin pilot location up in uh, the Brave Stadium. Oh, um, damn. Okay. And then, yeah. And then the other one was um, 81 Bay here in South Tampa was looking for a head brewer after they fired their original head brewer. Um, and I got I got a call for both of them, but then 81 Bay ended up hiring me. So I kind of went in there, changed that whole place around, um, brought it brought it up to, um, to what they were, and then um, – kind of during that process is when I texted my business partner now and I was like, Hey, why don't we try to do our own thing? Right. Um, and then, so I think it was like 2017, uh, I started writing up a business plan. Um, and then slowly after that, we found some investors. Uh, the longest time was finding a building. That was definitely the hardest part for us. We actually ended up having a lease signed on an original building, ordered all of our equipment, permitting fell through on it. And then 30 days later, we finally uh, signed a lease on this building that we're in now. That's awesome, man. So when along the lines did you meet your wife, Sierra? Uh, So I met her in college. We were uh, were both working at Chili's. Um, uh, (laughs) So this was was before Intrepid and uh, Brew Hub? Man, was it? I think it was before Intrepid. It was definitely before Brew Hub. Yeah, because this was, I guess, yeah. Well, yeah, 2013, when I just like started kind of getting into beer, we actually took a road trip up to Atlanta and um, I wrote like I found this list online of like the 100 beers you have to try before you die type thing. <laughs> OK. Um, <laughs> and slowly just started checking all of them off. And uh, she was super supportive about all of it. And um, honestly, probably wouldn't be here right now if, if not for her. Right. And then when did you meet Nikki and uh, Eric Childs? Uh, I met Nikki at Brew Hub. Okay. Um, so she was kind of like more behind the scenes and some of the accounting and raw materials proc- procurement and stuff like right. that. Um, and so that's why this whole partnership kind of formed that way. I was like, okay, well, you know, I can do some like handle all the brewing stuff. You handle the back end stuff. Uh, and then her husband, Eric, is, he's been a graphic designer for 20 years. So he does all of our labels um, and everything, all of our labels, all of our designs, all that stuff. And then Sierra runs our tasting room and social media. Oh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Dope, that's awesome. So yeah. it's basically you got it's it all. It's a quad. Yeah, you got it covered on all four fronts there. Yep. You know what I mean? That's pretty dope. Yeah, man. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what was, so obviously, right, you had a graphic designer. You had her basically running in, in the books. Front and of the house. Else, and you're working in the brewery and now you have your wife yep. running in front of the house. What's the name behind 
you know, what's, what's the story behind the name Woven Water? Yeah, so um, the idea behind Woven Water is we kind of look at it as a definition. So uh, beer is primarily made of water, so you weave ingredients into water to create beer. So beer is Woven Water, oh, um, and that's kind of how it all came about. Damn, okay. So, I mean, I know, like, even before you found a space, like, you knew that, like, Tampa Heights was the right place for you. I mean, do you mind describing Tampa Heights to, like, the listeners and tell us why that was the location for you guys? Yeah, uh, I mean, the easiest way for me to describe Tampa Heights is, honestly, to me, it just is Tampa. Um, It's Tampa proper. It's where... It's where you come to go to all the good restaurants in Tampa, all the good breweries in Tampa. Um, anything that you kind of want to do recreationally is just going to be in this area. I mean, there's some spots in downtown and stuff like that, but um, this is kind of truly the heart of it. And so uh, we knew that we wanted to to be in this area and be in the heart of it. But that being said, we also knew if we were going to do that, then we had to bring it uh, to step up to you know the Angry Chairs and Cigar right. City and um now magnanimous and whatever else but yeah so we we knew we had to hit the ground running like so many of the other guests that we've had on the show the space that you found really helped define your brand what do you think it is about that that space and that location that really kind of brings your brand to light up there in tampa versus everybody else man yeah i think i think the thing that kind of helps our location uh well our location specifically we kind of bridge the gap between tampa heights and seminole heights which right. is seminole heights is another yes kind of mecca for for tampa so yeah uh, bridging that gap is i think what really makes us unique because then as people are kind of bouncing around they can hit us on the way to multiple other restaurants or um, breweries or or what have you so but yeah and then we honestly just got lucky with this building uh, that's the easiest way to describe it is like I said, we had a lease signed actually in Pinellas County. Damn. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, over over in like Oldsmar area. Yep. And then permitting ended up falling through, like I said. And um, this this building was never even on the market when we were looking for buildings. Um, and I just happened to drive down this road and I saw the sign in the window. I was like, no way. <laughs> so we went and took a look at it and uh, we ended up falling in love with it. So, damn. What is so special? Yeah. Like, what is so special about this building that, you know, made it kind of like eye-opening for you that it even had the possibility of coming on the market. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's an older building. Um, we've actually found some stuff on the walls that was written from like 1930. Holy um, shit. Like wow. just like little handwritten stuff of like, it, of like lists and whatnot. So we have some pictures of that, but it was actually uh it was Tampa Heights first pharmacy. Whoa. Um, okay. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So, or like first pharmacy slash kind of, general general store store. things yeah yeah um and so uh the family that owned it it was the cox family and they still have some members in this area and they come into the brewery a lot and uh i think one of them owns a like a seafood place he brings some smoked fish dip to us oh dope Um, (laughs) yeah so it's pretty it's 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 kind of cool but um yeah so i think i think that part of it was definitely a huge draw for us as well that this building already had history as being tampa heights first pharmacy um and so you know we didn't want it to just turn into another attorney office or whatever else exactly so we something cheesy yeah yeah so we were like well let's let's do actually something pretty cool with it that the area would want how many uh how many breweries were in that area when you guys were opening magnanimous opened at the same time as us right so we had them angry chair Berry House, Zydeco, but th- those are kind of over in Ebor. Right. So I guess like, you know, Tampa, Tampa Heights proper, Seminole Heights, we had probably four or five yeah. in this area. Yeah. How many how many breweries are there in Tampa now? A lot. I think if you consider Tampa Bay, which is also St. Pete and yeah. Clearwater and all that, um, I mean we're we're upwards of a hundred, if not a little over a hundred. Right. Okay. Um and then like Tampa proper area, I mean, 20 to 30, I would say. Damn. Somewhere in that range. I mean, there's got to be quite a bit. And I think there's three or four more coming as as well. So Someone's opening a brewery at this time? Right. I know. That's that's crazy. Actually, one of of my brewers is working on getting his open right now, and I'm just like. Good luck? Good luck. Yeah. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, 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 you know, no bad mentions or any ill will, but I mean, right now is a rough time to be opening a brewery, man. A hundred percent. I'm actually glad you brought that up because, uh, yeah, that's been a huge topic for us and, you know, traveling to fest and whatnot. I talked to other brewers. Oh, no. And- I, I, we can talk about it right now, man, because I, yeah. I I look at the days even 
during pandemic and pre-pandemic how much I used to hit the road and do all these festivals and everything, and we haven't done one this year. Yeah, and I don't know. Yeah, if, we, and I don't know if we we might do we might do one, maybe two. That's mm-hmm. it, man. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 cutting back on that. Um, like so, opening up post kind of during pandemic. Right. There were obviously a lot of festivals coming out at that time. Yep. Um, and for us, it was all about just brand recognition, building yep. our brand up, getting yep. our name out there. So we were. I mean, I think last year Sierra and I probably did. I don't know, 18 bests at least. Um, Like we were always gone. And then, yeah, this year we're, we're, we're just, we're, we're not doing that. Not not anywhere near that, but. um, No, because now you got the brand recognition and, and I know it's about keeping the brand going and stuff like that. But like at the same time, I, I, for us, it's just making sure our home market and everything around here is still popping, you know what I mean? And doing well and really just pouring everything back into the brewery to make sure it's, and tap room that it's running well and trying to avoid all those outside expenses because airline tickets, hotel rooms, everything else has gone up along with grain, cans, bottles, mm-hmm. kegs, everything. You know what I mean? So yeah. you got to try to balance yeah. it out somewhere. Yeah, for sure. I think um, you touched on, uh, you know, bringing everything back and taking care of your area. And like, yeah. that's, that's one thing that we like to say all the time is, you know, we need to focus on our backyard right now. And, yeah. uh, drive as much traffic to the tasting room that we can um focus on florida and then if we have any kind of extra stuff left over then we'll We'll send send it out out. yeah yeah. but right now right now we haven't sent out an out-of-state palette in probably about six months everything's just been going to florida oh yeah Uh, so it's been good yeah how did you guys go about financing the build out of the brewery yeah so uh we have we have four investors total um and then we we kind of use that money to put up towards an sba loan Nice. Um, and then, so, yeah, so it's a, a mix of four investors, SBA, um, and then, yeah, actually, that's it. Damn. Okay. Yep. So what what is, uh, do you mind describing your, your brewing setup, what you got going on in there, what size of your, uh, you know, your brew house and tanks and everything else? Yeah, so we have a 10-barrel, uh, two-vessel brew house, direct fire. Nice. Um, we started off with uh, a five-barrel fermenter and three tens. Um, and then last year, beginning of last year, we brought in two twenties and a 20 barrel bright. Nice. Um, and we're, we're maxing out all that right now. So we're, we're probably going to hit about 1600 to 1700 barrels this oh, year. So you're jamming, um, dude. Oh yeah. We're, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're turning and burning, turning yeah. and burning all, at all time. Nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we need to, we need to probably get, I, w- I would like to get at least another 20 and another 10 in here. Right. Uh, but then we're going to be, we're probably maxed out in the back because we got a pretty tight space. So, so what do you think total annual barrelage you want to be at probably close to 2000 max? Yeah. I I'd say between 2000 to 2300, yeah. um, would be, would be really great. And yeah. then we, we would not be able to put another ounce out from oh, this yeah. spot. Um, our, our cold room, I think is going to be our biggest bottleneck. We only have Always. a 300 square foot cold room. Always and yeah yeah Always. so that's been the big one right now yeah i mean that's that's been our hang up for almost 10 years <laughs> it's cold yeah. storage always always the bottleneck it's man never you can never enough. you can never build build a walk-in cooler big enough it never happens yeah. no no i i i it's it's rough oh absolutely what do you what are your guys's most popular beers that that resonate with with the locals up there and even maybe on the on you know out-of-state distro as well yeah for us um we saw kind of a gap in the market when we opened um and there was a hot trend taken off which was the smoothie sours right um and nobody in tampa even wanted to touch them nope and so i was like well i'll take a stab at it and it it took off for us um they're constantly our top sellers um we I mean, what we probably brew thirty to forty barrels a month of just smoothie sours. Wow! Um, wow. Or at, w- at one point we were we've kind of cut that back that uh, back a little bit with prices of everything and whatnot. Right. But uh, um, yeah, so that that's a huge one for us. And then the other one I would say that kind of separates us from other breweries in Tampa as well as our seltzers, really? um, which is something that I've I always said I was never going to brew seltzer. Me never going to happen. Never going to happen. <laughs> right. And I then, yeah, them. and then we, again, we kind of talked about it, and we're like, well, 
nobody in Tampa is doing a seltzer. So we released our first seltzer and that took off as well. And uh, now we do, we offer seltzer cocktails at the bar now too. So we do a 15% seltzer base Whoa, and, okay. um, and we, we handshake ingredients into them like an actual cocktail and we, and we serve them to people and they seem to like that. So damn dude, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. We just have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, they uh, on the on the Instagram you can see like how cool like their their cool colors and right. like the garnishes and stuff like that. So I imagine that's a big draw for you. Yeah, guys. The, the cool thing with doing both the smoothie sours and the seltzers is that um, because of how different those densities are, we do a lot of layered beers as well. Oh. Um, so like we'll we'll serve a beer that it's like green, red, and yellow all in the same beer. Wow. And, right. uh because yeah, the, yeah. the density or thickness or viscosity of the beers differs, so you can you're able to stack them. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, how many different brands do you think you guys are doing nowadays? Yeah. Um, what are we doing nowadays? So we've we've kind of cut back on the new release every week or multiple new releases every right. week. That's game. tough. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think you know last year we probably put out. 60 new SKUs, I would say. And then this year, we're kind of honing more in on some of our core beers for the market. And then um, we're doing between two to sometimes four new beers a month. Yeah. Um, and uh, that the four is kind of pushing it. We've been sitting around two new beers a month right now. But really focusing on those brands and trying to push those more than trying to chase, like, <clears throat> I, I mean... Me and Maria know very well chasing that new release every week, you know, almost four new beers a month. I mean, our portfolio, I think our portfolio yeah. <laughs> now is, I, I don't even know how many beer, different beer brands we brewed, but we're actually going back to yeah, we're the ones that really hit and sticking with that and yeah. not yeah. really chasing new, 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 because it, dude, I think yeah. you just run out of creative space. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And then uh, I think I think it can become a little exhausting for the consumer as well to try to keep up with all of it. And they definitely appreciate when you bring back those heavier hitters that they know that they know worked out really well. Right. Um, so um, that's yeah, that's that's a huge focus. So I know we had touched on it earlier, like about the number of breweries in the Tampa area. But like according to like Drink Local, I mean, there's over 100 breweries in the greater Tampa area. Whereas, yeah. like, there's, you know, only, I think, 30 in Miami-Dade County by comparison. And I, and I remember back in the day, like, when there used to be three breweries in Tampa. Because in 2009, mm-hmm. I was driving up to Tampa every two weeks to get the beer, whatever was rolling out of Cigar City. You know what I mean? White Oak. <laughs> no, back then it was, like, Bolita and Highline, Maduro, and they would do treatments. And they didn't even have a tap room, and they had, like the the bottle fill gun inside of the old 15 barrel and that's how you get these old medicine style bottle growlers and crap whatever (laughs) you know i mean is there is there any added pressure to stay at the top of everybody's mind with beer drinkers in such a competitive market like that i think that that's probably our number one pressure is uh i mean i don't i don't know if i'm going to call it a pressure or not because we we always at least we stay true to ourselves and stay true to our brand. Um, but I think a good thing with us being a lot more experimental is that that means, you know, any new trend that kind of comes out because people kind of know us for doing more out of style type beers. Um, if we try to hop on it, I don't think anybody's going to be too upset where if we were like a lager house and we try to do a smoothie sour, um, that'd be a lot different, but, um, definitely staying relevant in Tampa is a challenge on its own. Right. Um, that's why I'm glad that Sierra is so great at social media and, um, her photography, even though she's not even classically trained in it or anything like that, right. but she just knows how to kind of capture the beer in the, in a good way. Um, and I think that helps us out a lot. Do you guys have a kitchen or do you have like pop-ups? Like how does that work? Yeah, we do a lot of food trucks. Um, yeah. and then we have kind of right next door to us is a um, little tiny burger shop that does you know, like burgers, chicken sandwiches, chicken wings, French fries, uh, whatever. So you partner with those um, guys? What's that? You partner with those guys? Yeah. So he actually came over and set up 
this kiosk in our tasting room that you can oh, order on dope. the kiosk and then he'll just text you when it's ready. You just walk over and go that's pick it amazing. up. That's dope, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Partnership. Yeah. So that's, that's been a, a huge help because we all know how food trucks are. Oh yeah. Um, whether oh, they yeah. cancel or double book or whatever, it's oh, just yeah. a nightmare. So. Or the truck breaks down yeah, or whatever. Yeah. 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 Or, yeah. or they don't want to deal with rain or some, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's always something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We deal with it on a daily basis. No, and you <laughs> need to, you, nowadays, it's not like back you, you in the gotta day. You got to have food, man. Right. You know, people don't just right. come to a tap room and hang out. You need food. You got to have some kind yeah, of, I mean, absolutely. we've always had food trucks or something, but I think even more nowadays, like, that's great that you guys have somebody literally, like, right next door to you because, like, mm-hmm. if you don't have food, man, like, just the tasting room alone kind of aspect just doesn't work anymore. Uh, people right. want a full experience. I mean, we can go on about that for ever, but you know what I mean? But well, it's, and, it, and it's funny you say that too, because I think back on like, you know, 2013 yep. through 20, yep. probably 17, where if you were a brew pub, you weren't going to make it. Like nope. It, nope. people nope. didn't want a brew pub. They wanted to go to a warehouse brewery and yeah. just hang out. Crazy. And, uh, yeah. And now it's like, man, if you don't have food, no, I screwed. I remember working at cigar city and they used to inside of the, the tap room that they had expanded and was just a massive tap room, they had installed uh, like a, a sa- sandwich press, and yeah. they had soup that was already made that they were just reheating, and that's all they had. Like, But no one was really eating. People were just there to drink, and that's yeah. all they cared about. Right. You know, Now it's yeah. like flip the coin. Like They want to drink, eat, and like be merry. You know what I mean? It's, it's right. a little bit yeah. of everything. But... Um, <clears throat> I got. I do have one last question for you. I know we kind of, you know, have hit on different subjects, but what is next for Woven Water? Like I said earlier, we're probably going to try to expand, get a couple more tanks in here. Um, a huge goal of mine for Woven is to. Um, I, I would like to see a second tap room for us. Oh yeah. Um, I think in today's market, with how saturated distribution is becoming, uh, it's just not the answer anymore. And if we can just kind of open up a second spot, bring everything back in house. Um, I think that would be the best move for us. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a huge goal, whether, whether or not we achieve it by, I mean, it really depends on location finding the right spot. Um, hopefully, but, um, I would love to see that happen in the future. We'll speak it into existence. Yeah, absolutely. I think think that is the best move nowadays, honestly, is just Mm -hmm. tap rooms. Yep. You know, they don't have to be massive, but as long as they can, you can push push your own product through your own place. It's the best yeah, answer. Agreed. You know I mean? yeah, even if it's just a 1500 square foot spot with yep. a matter. high foot traffic area. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, we can, we can make little seltzer beer shots and you can be on your way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all you need, man. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time, brother. I know, uh, we're all busy nowadays and thank you for taking time out to speak with us. And thanks, and Jay. Thanks for being on the no, show. Thank man. you and for I having can, me. I really hope we yeah, can visit not, you too. Yeah. We need to get back up. I haven't been to Tampa. Yeah. In a definitely. Minute, definitely let us know. I know that, uh, I know that you are in that book club with Sierra. Yes. yes. Um, she, yeah, she, she talks about that a lot. So, She's my book uh, buddy. I, we have the yeah. same taste in books. <laughs> yeah. It's really okay. funny, but, uh, yeah, if you guys ever come up, please let me know. And then, um, I'm sure that we'll, probably back down there for absolutely best coming up pretty soon so well we'll be in touch well thank you again very much man thank you you're listening to the beer hour with jonathan wakefield conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture our next guest is the founder of magic city canine a miami-based nonprofit that trains incarcerated people to prepare dogs for adoption she is also an award-winning dog trainer and small business leader with a lot of letters behind her name from her numerous certifications. Her two dog training facilities, Applause Your Paws, provide over 20,000 training hours per year to dog owners in South Florida. Welcome to the Beer Hour. D. Holt, thank you very much for joining us today in the tap room. It is a uh, pleasure to have you here. You're most welcome. Super excited to be here with you guys. We're also joined by Duke. And... Caroline and Caroline, thank you very much for joining us, all of you today. Um, so I guess we'll get this kicked off. I mean, I guess your love for dogs, you know, started with a border collie mix named Babe. Who, who was Babe? So Babe was the first dog that I had in my childhood. Um, I grew up in Texas, and my grandparents lived in a little rural town called Menard. 
You know, it's your classic just like oh. farm country town. And I will never forget getting to go out there on the farm and, oh, my God, I'm getting a puppy. Pick out my puppy. You you legit bring it home in a cardboard box, right, you know, like right. in the back seat kind of story. Back, back in the day. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so was was Babe the first dog you trained? Babe would have classified as the first dog I trained. And, you know, at only five years old, that dog um, was trained to wear like a headdress that I had made with feathers on it and, you know, like Elmer's glue. <laughs> she could ride in a wagon. She nice. could jump over hurdles in the yard. And oh. um, I do have the newspaper clipping proof that I won a pet tricks contest in 1987 really? with Babe. Really? Yeah. Um, it's in the Austin really? American Statesman from 1987. That's nice. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> My training career started very young. <laughs> I mean, that's a good thing, you know, absolutely. Uh, what do you think you learned about dog training from those from that early experience with Babe? You know, looking back on it now, I think the biggest message that I'd I'd probably give you if you asked my five year old self would be dog training is really fun. And it needs to be fun and it needs to be relationship based if you really want great results out of your dog. You know, as a kid, you're not you're not focused on having like quote obedience control. It's not about right, that. Right, right. Sit, just, stay, don't move. Yeah, yeah, it's about like how much fun can I have with this animal, and do we have a great bond? And right. I think as you become an adult, that gets a little lost when you train your dog because you're like, oh, you drive me nuts. Like you right, have right. to do these. You get things. worn out. Yeah, you get worn out. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I learned that the foundation or the core of dog training. If I could do it at five years old successfully, right. My clients who are proper adults <laughs> should be able to train their dog, right? I, well, it's probably more about patience as yes. I guess you get older. Oh, like and consistency, you know, I think, too. Well, I mean, I think, right. I mean, the the patience of a child versus for certain things. Certain things, yeah, right. that you're passionate things, about, that you're passionate right, about. Versus a, an adult that has everything going on to find that patience again might be yeah. a little different. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it's not without saying, like, I mean, you can... If it, it's still, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze. Right. You know what I mean? So from what I've seen, like you actually studied marine biology in college. I did. And you actually earned a master's degree in international business. I did. Random, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I have a master's in accounting. So like it's very. That's very useful, though. No, it, it is. But, uh, you know, international business can be very helpful, to, you know, in certain fields obviously yeah absolutely yeah. especially running a business and, so. and the marine science too as you can imagine very statistics heavy oh, you know yeah, i absolutely. did a lot of statistics and so walking into building my business and my dog training career i've always been like you in accounting right i'm very right. number savvy okay. i know that the numbers matter and that that has played a big role in my success because i'm aware <laughs> I had this really pivotal pivotal moment where I was like, I can't be an oceanographer and be at sea nine months a year with the same four people on a ship. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right? It just didn't make sense anymore. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I've always trained dogs for local rescue groups, for my friends, you know. Really? Um, yeah, because that's my hobby. Like growing up as a little girl, like I can train a dog. So I do train a dog. I like to do it. And so here I am. I finished my undergraduate degree. I know now I'm not going to go into marine science, but what am I going to do? So... I decide to pursue a master's in business because you can't really you go wrong right, there, right? right? I didn't know what I wanted, but I did know that University of Miami was not requiring me to take the GMAT oh. because of my high science GPA. Like okay, they wanted a science major in their MBA program. Right. And they're like, you don't have to take a test. So I'm like, sign me up. I'll do this master's <laughs> instead of science, you know? Um, so that's how that happened. And meanwhile, I'm just like, well, I'll just train some dogs, uh, you know, for a local rescue group to pass the time, right? Um, I'm working at University of Miami. That's my day job, my nine right. to five in development and alumni relations. And without even realizing it, so I'm taking my MBA classes now, right? My business classes. My mind is working in a way it's never thought of things before. Because right. you're very science-based. I'm very science. all of a sudden going to business. Side. Yes, yeah. yeah. Super science nerd. Um, and suddenly, before I even know what's happened, there's people in our Miami community that are referring me business to train their dog. Oh my gosh, we adopted. While you're in school. While I'm in school. Okay. And then it all sort of starts to go, oh my God, oh my God. Like I'm in marketing classes and I'm looking at the landscape of what dog training businesses that are privately owned really even exist in the Miami space. What year would that have been? That was 2005. There was nobody. There was down nobody. Here. There was nobody down I here. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, because I've lived here. You, 
Yeah. The choices were you could hire an old school trainer who's still right. crank and yank, like, let me teach you how to like be alpha. How to break a shepherd. Right. How to break. Thank Police you. Police dog. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Right. Or you could go to PetSmart and, right. and no right. offense. Right. Sit in the class you know? with like eight other dogs right. and not really have any kind of structure right. of how to train yeah. a dog because everything's just chaos. Exactly. It's yeah. a small space, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. And at the same time, the dog, the professional dog training industry was rolling out um, the very first of what are now industry standards, right? Certain certifications, humane ways that really? animals should be trained using science-based methods, which really appealed to me, the scientist. Right, of right. So I was More like, of I love this. Easier, pa- I mean, less physically imposing on the dogs yep. as far as like breaking them goes. Absolutely, yeah. It, reward-based, uh, kind of hands-off training, the same way that... Dolphins have been trained for many years or animals in zoos that you can't use physical force and manipulation that, uh, to train those animals. I forget what that method is called, but obviously it's like like treat reinforcement. Obviously, after they do something good, it's obviously yeah, a it's, treat. We just call it reward-based. Reward-based um, training. You know, we use clickers, right, to train dogs. Really? Uh, yeah. So clicker, Same thing as a dolphin, training. pretty much. Absolutely. And actually, yeah. the woman who um, brought clicker training and dolphins to the forefront, her name's Karen Pryor, the same woman who brought clicker training into the dog training space. Really? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, I, so speaking of 2005, and then in 2006, you founded Applause Your Paws Dog Training. Yep. And then kind of as a part of one of my of class projects. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So it was all based <laughs> off of school. Yes, okay. it was. Was it like a, a project or a class project where you had to basically f- found a business? Not, not so much, but it was more, it was more my marketing classes. Oh, it was a marketing and, class. Yeah, and to, understanding okay. how to promote, you know, a uh, brand or, okay. you know, and I'm like, I can just apply this to <laughs> building my own business. This is great. And, um, and, and again, like I, I feel very, I feel very lucky that I entered into being a business owner, right? Or being right, an entrepreneur right. when I did, because look at even what social media was doing in 2005, Really not much. Like uh, people, what, I we, was Was that using, MySpace or was that the beginning still, of Facebook? Yeah, both. It, yeah, both. it was like end of MySpace and I, beginning like, of... Remember. Instagram didn't even exist. No, that was not, you know, no. Like, that, no, it was, it was so, Facebook and MySpace, which was computer-based platform, not really yeah. mobile. Or it was like the beta, right, the beta yeah. version of Instagram, right. I, mean, you, I think. And you had to be on enough. a computer. Yep. Yeah. Had to be. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I can remember sitting at my computer, right, right. talking about building my dog training business, right? So I'm, I'm producing this native content, storytelling, engaging stuff, right. which is how I developed my following for dog training before nice. business pages were even a thing, you right. know, and before you had to pay to play. Right. So I was able to also build my business using social media just by being authentic and saying, this right. is this, hey, this is what I'm doing. And there's a gentler way to train your dog. You don't right. have to alpha roll them. You don't have to, you know. Do, do all the things that also at that time in 2005, certain popular um, TV shows were in place that were setting, try, setting the industry back because it was about dominating your dog, not about building mm-hmm. bond. It's very interesting. Don't but name I, names, yeah. John. Don't name I names. already see nope, you smirking names. over there. We don't name names. <laughs> we don't name names. We all know who. <laughs> no, I'm smirking about something else, but that's coming up because I'll, I'll drop that in a second. But like as time went on, in 2014, you opened a brick-and-mortar facility, yes. and not long after, a second one. How many dogs do you think you train a year between the two facilities? Um, I mean, it's got to be close to, not even so much number of dogs, but if I quantify it in terms of hours of training, okay. we're training, let's say at our, just at my, our Miami facility, which is our larger one, um, we train about 45 dogs a day at that facility. And there was a point when, before COVID, right. that we were doing like 80 dogs a day. Jesus. And, yeah. Has it started to come back? Oh, yeah, it came back. Yeah. But as a business owner, I think, and we all experience this, there's so many ways our business has changed oh, after that yeah. or because yeah. of that. Yeah. And one thing for me is I'm like, how did it get this big? And if I have an opportunity to slow down and really look and say, like, how can I streamline this, improve it, improve the quality while I have this downtime? Right. I, I actually cut my operation in half. And so that, so now we are down to doing 45 dogs a day, which yeah, is very comfortable. Yeah, but do you think it's more streamlined? Right. It's oh, not, yeah. It's not overwhelming Correct. at that point because yeah. now you have something you can control on a better yes. basis than having just Versus my business. 80 dogs. Yeah, it grew and grew and grew. Right. And we're just like, oh my God, you got to keep up, keep up, keep up. And here right. we are with 80 dogs every day. Like it was yeah. insane. So what is Magic City Canine? So Magic City Canine is a, a nonprofit um, dog training and dog rescue organization that I founded um, about six years ago now 
and it runs out of uh, Florida Department of Corrections. So I, as a professional dog trainer, I volunteer my time, right, to, to run this group. And I have a, a core of amazing volunteers that I've built throughout the years now. And my mission with my organization is to actually provide education to my incarcerated individuals. I work with an all-male population um, it's an adult population. So I'd say like my youngest guys could be like 21, 22 years old. Really? And I have some guys in my program that are in their fifties, you know, depending right. on how long, how they've, long been they've been there. Right. Yeah. Um, right. but most of them are like, it's funny cause as a professional now, like, you know, I'm 40, I'm 40 this year right. and, uh, and a lot of my guys are 40. So like, we're all sort of the same, right. same age or they're younger than me, which John, which John just case. looked at me because I just turned 40. So Woo-hoo! I finally feel my age, by the way, I think I've always been 40. <laughs> 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 I've been I'm like, this feels so right. Uh. I love it. Um, so I started Magic City because my for-profit company was so wildly successful. It's every business owner's dream, right? You sort of put yourself out of a job and you're like, well, now what am I doing? Right, because now you have other people that are yeah. hand- handling it, right? What am I doing? Like, you don't you need, don't need you to don't need, the steering wheel anymore. Yeah, they don't need me yeah. for anything. My staff are so competent and wonderful. Like, what am I doing? So I was like, I'll just start a new dog training business. Like, so that's Magic City Canine. And my, my goal with that program is to be able to give these incarcerated guys a skill that they can use upon their release. Because, again, the dog training industry, it's an easy industry to get into and an easy industry to do really well in if you are a good dog trainer. And it takes guys about three years in my program to become excellent, like high-level excellent. They could probably train circles around me. Right. Um, and they are getting out and they are able to start their own business. They have a job. Yeah. Oh, and and I, that, that to me is really what the organization is about. The icing on the cake is that I also save about a hundred dogs a year from the uh-huh. shelter. So yeah. I was just going to ask, where do you get the dogs from? Yeah. So well, I mean, right. How much? Where do you get the dogs and how many dogs are trained in each cycle? Sure. So we run our cycles in, um, about three months three-month segments, and sometimes right. we'll push to four months just depending on how well our dogs are doing, how well my guys are doing, right? Um, but I partner with several um, rescue organizations and our municipal shelters here in, in the South Florida community. So my dogs could come from Palm Beach County Animal Care and Control. They could come from Miami-Dade Animal Services. They can come from local rescue groups who have maybe had a dog uh, stuck in inventory for a long time and maybe just right. isn't attractive for whatever reason to adopters. But you put training on it, and suddenly now people want the ordinary right. brown dog, right? right. right. Um, so my target <laughs> is... Uh, <laughs> oh, there's a lizard outside. Of, so yeah. Duke yes. is barking at this lizard bearded dragon looking thing wow that is that's one of those one. african rainbow lizards it's like an orange head yeah, and a yep. black body mm-hmm. yeah weird. don't forget you're sitting with the science oh, over here sorry it's an african, african rainbow? rainbow lizard and really? they're invasive they're yeah invasive well right species. we see yeah. them all over the place and mm-hmm. i'm like that's interesting because yeah. they'll be on top and they of the do rooftop. push-ups yeah they well, do it's mating season <laughs> oh yeah right? probably probably because if For all the lizards i would figure right now. because when his Head bright. gets more brightly colored and yeah. is more putting on prominence. Yeah. And they and those lizards, yeah. they have learned now to stay close to us, right? Like they, they're like, Why do I need to be over there finding food when I'm just gonna find right. basically your trash? Yeah. So like they love They're heads. raccoons. Yes, they are. They're reptile raccoons. raccoons. They hang out with restaurants or breweries That's or wherever awesome. and Weird. they're waiting. They're waiting for scraps. <laughs> how many how many inmates are in the program? So I have um so across my two facilities, because I, I work with um Everglades Correctional Institute, uh-huh. right? Which is a maximum to medium level security prison um for inmates that have a longer stay, right? I have 24 guys who are participating in my program at that institution and then next door at Everglades uh, Reentry Center. Ah, okay. Those are inmates who are within three years of release. So okay. they, every guy that's in my program at the Reentry Center absolutely will come back into our, your community. Oh, nice. um, and okay. I also have 12, uh, 12 trainers there and 12 handlers. So again, 24 inmates that are participating at any given time. Wow, that's um, amazing. Yeah. And do you guys mainly focus on bully breeds? I do, yeah. Yeah. Um, Why is that? Because they're the ones that tend to be overlooked the most. I mean, and and that's just statistical. Like here in Miami, there's just so many of them. 
that like just in pure numbers, they're the ones that I mean, end up there's the a most lot of risk. breeders down here and mm-hmm. a lot of the dogs bred. And then I think people try to take it on as like, this is a cool breed to have. And then it's like, okay, I can't handle this dog. Yeah. What, what is your placement rate for dogs who have completed the program? Um, you know what? I would, you'd think I would have that exact number. Um, so we typically have all of our dogs pre-adopted before they graduate each cycle. So for example, right now out of the 20, um, the 25 dogs that I have 20, well, it's 24, 25 dogs that I have at any given time in my training program. Um, I only have like four left, I think right now that are still available from this cycle that will, all the dogs will go home at, nice. the, at the end of June, right? Nice. Um, so I do have like a healthy pipeline of people that are waiting for dogs because they want to support our program. And of course, the appeal of having a dog that already has a lot of foundational training is of very course. appealing. You, you, right, yeah. right. He's already um, housebroken. He's already this. He's already trained. Yeah. It's like easier to bring him home or it is. her home. It's yes. gonna, I mean, it's still, yeah. it's not magic. They're not robots, right? They're right. still living animals. But it is significantly easier to start with a dog that already has so much has foundational training. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and a known temperament background right. too. Um, actually, someone, uh, gosh, who was it? Somebody just yesterday called my dogs certified pre-owned. And I thought that was <laughs> like the most, BMW. yes, that was the most brilliant. <laughs> I go, I'm going to use that because yes. it's true. Like yes. they're certified pre-owned. We know them very well. They we know now they have a history. We yeah. can tell you this, that, the other, like why? Yeah, if why? you have kids, if you have other yeah. animals, if, yeah. Yeah. So you've actually, I mean, we actually have one of the adopters, Carolyn. She's here. And you're here with a dog that went through the Magic City Canine Program, Dookie. I mean. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. Again. He He's a good boy. Hello, Carolyn. Hey. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, Carolyn, can, do you mind telling us a little bit about Duke here and, uh, and why you chose him? Um. Well, first of all, I moved here from Chicago with two little dogs. They were one was eighteen and one was sixteen. Wait a second, you're not originally from Chicago with that. that I'm uh, not. Well, I I was there thirty two years. But really? Yeah. You you kept the southern accent. I yeah, I guess I did. Where you where are you from originally? Alabama, Montgomery. Oh, okay. But I, I left in nineteen seventy four. I've never been back. I'm from Mississippi, Hattiesburg. So, yeah. Yeah, roll tide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not in this yeah. house. Uh, <laughs> so why choose Dookie? I mean, he seems like a very good dog. I wanted a dog that was completely different than my 18-year-old who was the love of, of my life. Right. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to replace a dog. I want yeah. something completely out of the box different. Right. And I was looking at, I was on Pet Finders with a broken heart. Right. And... I kept seeing these dogs that said, I think, currently in, in training on Pet Finder or something like that. Yeah. And I looked into it. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And then I read about the program and just loved what I was reading. I'm like, nice. I have to have one of these dogs. So I met Dee, or, or I think we met on a, it was a Skype meeting or, you know, one of those Online, Zoom or a Zoom yeah, yeah, thing, yeah. <laughs> right? And I was so impressed with her, and I really, really trust her opinion. And she's really good at vetting dogs with people, right? So I read so about Duke. His personality aligned with yours, right? I read the questionnaire is very extensive, right? To, to, adopt to really get into dogs. the background of what. Well, yeah, how, I imagine how much time you have, how much do you work, do you yeah. have, you know, yeah. that, that's got to play a huge part in, in yeah. like the type of attention that Duke might need or any like, other dog. Like, do you want a couch potato or do you want a jogging companion sort of thing? Anyway, everything about Duke, I mean, first of all, okay, he was number one in his class. Can I just mention <laughs> that? <laughs> like, who wouldn't want Duke? Right. right? So I saw head of the class. Yeah, he was head of the class. I'm like, hell, I want that dog. Right. So um, anyway, I sort of put that in Dee's ear, and I, yeah, I, th- I guess she agreed, and I was lucky enough to be chosen for. That's for, awesome for Duke. That is amazing. Yeah. But thank you very much for bringing him in. I mean, I just it's it's an awesome pleasure to have him in here as well. He's so he's cute, very yeah. well behaved. He is so cute. Thank Lots you. of energy, but very well behaved. Yes, so he does. Oh, it's a new space. Yeah, poor guy. Yeah. 
so one thing that Carolyn may not realize, or maybe she does realize it, um, is that I liked Carolyn so much as an adopter that I held on to Duke longer for her because she had a couple of trips coming up or weddings or I, I think I'm remembering that right. Um, but when I find an adopter that I really like, like they're stuck with me. Like there's no getting out of it. You're locked in. You're mine now. You will not. I'm like seriously yeah. offended if you adopt a dog from somewhere else. Like, That's you know, because now I'm emotionally invested in that right, right. adopter, you know, um, that I want them to be in our, what we call it our magic city canine family. Right. And my adopters are really special because I, I do also set the expectation that, this is, again, it's not just about the dogs we train. There's a bigger picture here right. in helping these guys successfully reenter society. Right. Right. And part of that successful reentry is feeling like you have a community that supports you, that yeah. you can lean right. on. And so when they, they get their dogs, we call it matched, right? So I match up, let's say, Duke with Carolyn. Right. Carolyn then has access to be able to do correspondence through email with right. the inmate that's training her dog. And that's a very important part of the process because that is helping these guys get reconnected, right? Yeah. Reconnected. And it's not just like whoever they're usually talking to. This is another like person who is supportive, who understands the mission that's going to, you know, be there, you know, in, in, just be there for nice. them. Yeah. Um, nice. And so that's a really critical piece. And I, and I love that once my guys at the reentry center, because, again, some of them do have life sentences. They're never getting right. out. But I do have one population of guys that they do get out. Um, they stay connected. And I love the relationships they develop, you know, just with the entire community of our adopters and supporters. And so, I mean, in essence, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? You can. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay. I have one inmate <laughs> in my program, um, Henry. God bless him. He is my worst dog trainer, but he's still trainable. <laughs> I still taught him how to train a dog. There you go. Man, he's he the does worst it one. slow. Oh, yeah. Man, Henry, someday okay. you'll hear this and you'll know because I say it to your face. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, do you mind giving our listeners the Magic City Canine website and social handles? Sure. Um... So it's magiccityk9.org. That's our website, um, letter K number nine. And on Instagram, you can follow us at magiccityk9. We are most active on our Facebook page. Okay. Again, magiccityk9. Okay. And I've read that there are over 300 prison dog training programs across the country. How can listeners who may want to adopt a well-trained dog find similar programs closer to them if they don't, say, live here in Dade County or so Broward? Most Department of Corrections websites will list their really? dog programs okay. yeah, through um, whatever page on their website they're listing their vocational programs. Okay. I wish there was a better, more centralized way. You may have just given me an idea. Um, <laughs> I wish there was a better, more centralized way for people to find dog programs, but they tend to be really well-kept secrets. Like, I, I personally know several other, you know, dog trainers or rescuers that are running programs. They don't have the social media presence that right. I have, you know, right. and whether that's because the facility. So then everybody with, needs to come here and get a dog. Yeah, everyone needs no. to come to Miami and get yes. a dog. And we yeah. do adopt out of state. So. Nice. Excellent. <laughs> but, yeah, go to your, go to your, your local de- state Department of Corrections. Okay. I guess you can't say local state. Right. Go to your state Department of Corrections okay. website and look for dog programs. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Dee and Carolyn, for joining us today. I really appreciate your time, and this has been an absolute pleasure. And thank, thank you, Duke. Thank you so much. Thank very you, Duke. Much. Yeah. Thank you. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Jay Jones and Dee Holt, our co-host, Maria Cabre, our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thanks for starting your weekend with us. You can catch us each Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real.